So I'd like to continue uh, our exploration of uh, mindfulness of the body. It's really our third session on mindfulness of the body, which I and, and many believe is very, very central to making or facilitating our practice of mindfulness to become real in our lives. And I'll say more about that in a moment. And as I mentioned last time, mindfulness of the body has been really central to my own practice. And I think I could devise a six-year curriculum on mindfulness of the body. I think that's pretty much what I've had, maybe even longer. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But it's actually a very uh, deep and powerful subject. And uh, one that there are some very wonderful ways to train and develop further. And so um, three sessions gets us going. It really, and maybe it can give some glimpses of the practice. Uh, but, and it may inspire us uh, to, to do more of the practice of mindfulness of the body in our own lives, in retreats, in uh, various ways. Because it's not just about formal meditation, but it also could be about um, bringing that mindfulness into uh, a renewed interest, let's say, in yoga or walking, hiking, uh, eating, diet, and so forth. But I thought I would start with a, uh, with a poem because uh, I had been actually brought this uh, two weeks ago uh, when I first came back after not having uh, seen you all for about a month. Uh, I had been on retreat and uh, up the hill here. And the retreat had been important for me and profound in many ways. And I wrote some poems. And I thought I would uh, share, uh, maybe I'll share two now. I have three that I have here. And I'll share two now and maybe one near the end because it fits in with what I wanted to, to work with. And it's, in a sense, it's really a poem that, although it doesn't mention the body, is about mindfulness of the body. I think it uses almost the, the uh, metaphor of the experience of the body and the senses from the perspective of being in the present moment as being like a river. It's like a river of sensations. It's a river of experience. So this is uh, it's a short poem. <clears throat> Letting nature, my nature, take its course. Deep river, moving always even though sometimes, like this morning, the quiet of my mind and the hills and the flickering of phenomena reminds me that I, too, am resting in stillness, acting from stillness. It's a little different spirit. This is a a shorter poem. It's about um, crows. (laughs) The crows always seem to know when to pay attention. They tell me often, remind me of the vast humor, our connections, our wry silliness. (laughs) 
So I've mentioned how mindfulness of the body is so crucial in our culture, in a culture which for several thousand years has generally, although not always, uh, devalued the body. And how for, for many of us in this culture, awareness of the body has not been something that we grew up with or were trained in. And it's interesting that even though there can be such a preoccupation with our bodies, in a way it's not so much a preoccupation with the awareness of the bodies or the experience of the bodies from the inside. A lot of the preoccupation of the bodies, we might say, is actually mental. It's what is my image of my body? How do I present myself? It's, it's actually a preoccupation with ideas about the body. So it's kind of ironic that there's such a focus on the body and it's often not very connected with um, the ability really to sense the body from the inside, to really know, have the inner experience. And I talked about that in terms of my own experience, being very uh, physically active and actually was an athlete from ages 10 to 20, very physically active. You know, of course, there's a certain amount of awareness of the body which just is inescapable. But the ability to sustain attention in an inner way uh, wasn't there for me. An athlete, but I don't know what I did when I was a swimmer and I don't know what I did when I was training. I, I uh, probably, I don't know, thought about things or, <laughs> you know, or... Uh, I rarely was very tuned into my body, except when I, there was something happening that I wanted it to go away. You know, like um, I used to do the, the stroke butterfly was my main stroke, and it's the most laborious of all the strokes, and training and practice was often hard. And, and, but I, I didn't have a coach who would just say, feel the dukkha. <laughs> feel what's unpleasant. Later, when I actually was a teacher at uh, Kenyon College in Ohio, I happened to actually teach a large percentage of the football team. And a lot of them, it's an unusual school, it's not the usual kind of football players, it was kind of intellectual football players. And they uh, really got into going in the locker rooms and comparing notes about dukkha, about du- dukkha is the Pali word for suffering that we talk about. So, so that, that did happen there. But, but generally speaking, uh, we're, not so, we're not so aware of our bodies. And there's a, there's a line that's uh, always stayed with me from uh, one of the short stories by James Joyce from the collection called Dubliners. It's, it's from a story called A Painful Case. And it's, it's about a man named Mr. Duffy. And it has the line in it which says, Mr. Duffy lived at a little distance from his body, regarding his own acts with doubtful side glances. <laughs> <laughs> and we can laugh, but in, we know that actually that's connected with some suffering and some lack of awareness of the body, and we, and we, we share that. So there's this, there's this way that we're in this culture which has devalued the body for many thousands of years in certain ways, and in some sense been scared of the body. The body's been, especially with uh, many of the religious 
doctrines has been connected with sexuality and sin and been suspect. You know, it's like the desires of the body, problematic. And we find that both in um, some of our religious systems and also in some of the uh, philosophies that we, that we, that have really structured Western culture. And we can find that, trace that very directly back to Plato. It's a very strong hierarchy which goes mind, emotion, body. Emotions in the middle, sometimes helpful, sometimes a problem. <laughs> mind is at the, at the top of the hierarchy. Body is, has to be dominated by the mind. That's a very uh, common model. And in some ways, we're, we're looking into that and reevaluating that. And I think moving towards a way of being that gives more autonomy to the body in a sense, more love to the body, and looks towards, actually questions that hierarchy, and looks, I think, towards a way that we can understand um, uh, the wisdom of the body, just as we're reevaluating the place of the emotions and looking for the wisdom of the heart. Some of you may remember the very beautiful statement that, uh, by uh, Pascal, uh, three, three probably close to 400 years ago, 300, 400 years ago, and he said, the heart has its reasons of which reason knows not. And I think there's a general cultural revaluation. And for us, it might mean, can I really look into my body without dominating it by the mind? Can I do the same with my heart? I think in the long run, we're looking for some kind of integrated balance of mind and emotion and body in which they each have their due and they don't, in a sense, dominate each other. And I invite us to, to explore that. And perhaps you may have some views. It's, it's actually a powerful and deep topic. And so when we do the practice of mindfulness, we, in a way, uh, mindfulness of the body, as I've mentioned, we, we uh, both explore the very nature of the body, but we also, in a way, for many of us, not all of us, we go against what uh, last week I called the imperialism of the mind, <laughs> you know, the, the way in which the, the mind wants to control everything. And we give, we just, uh, we in a way uh, go against the constant repetitive thinking that again is partly culturally conditioned. It's not that way in every culture. They have their own problems, <laughs> but, but it's, that, it's that way for us. And as we do that, we come to explore uh, the body in many ways, we learn that mindfulness of the body can really help us to be uh, mindful more and more in our daily lives, that it can be a tool, that we can have it be something that, much like the exercise I mentioned last time, it can help us to expand the potential of awareness so that we're, some of us, it's very common just to be in a total mental stream. And if we're at a meeting and have this total mental stream happening, mindfulness of the body, as it were, breaks that um, monopoly. It, it, and in many ways, what it can do is that it permits us to actually have some perspective on what's happening, rather than be just carried along by whatever our mind says to do. Mind says, you know, I'm, at, I'm talking with a friend. Mind says, 
that's really a bad idea. And we, and we start to get angry and we just kind of act out. And as mindfulness of the body has a special role for letting us be aware of what's happening. Uh, and so we're not taken away so much by reactions, not so much in our automatic uh, patterns of behavior. It also can, uh, mindfulness of the body, as we were exploring last time, can give us uh, great access to information which wouldn't otherwise be available. Sometimes we, and we have explored this many times, that we can sometimes, when we have, for example, repetitive thinking, and we use the practice, as we did last time, of simply saying, okay, I'm having repetitive thinking. Let me shift my attention to my body. In particular practice, we sometimes do to the heart and the, um, the, upper, the, the upper body. And we sometimes can, can tune in there and say, oh, I've been brooding on this for 20 minutes. Let me shift my attention there. And suddenly I get information. I'm pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And some of us, as I have said, uh, have instant um, pissed off sensors, if you pardon the language. It's not the language of the Buddha. <laughs> uh, but but we, we know that immediately. But others of us, we may be in the thinking, and just being with the body gives information. It also, in a deep way, can give other kinds of information. And you may have even experienced that as we did the sweeping practice from the uh, toes to the head. And I've mentioned how it's a very important technique and a great number of very innovative therapies which use the body as an entry point, particularly in an overly discursive culture. It can actually access material that's beneath the surface. And so mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the body does that. It can also take us into some very um, special states. As we develop awareness of the body, we can actually explore some of the mysteries. This is really that quality of where I was saying that can we just really explore the body for what it is, just as we may explore the mind. And when we do so, and when we go to the depths of the body, it opens up, in a sense, a whole world you know, uh, uh, of mystery. I, I brought in a book that uh, is a really thick one. <laughs> it's by Michael Murphy called The Future of the Body, and it, I recommend it to you. It's, some of you may know this, but he's, he's a local Marin County person, the co-founder of Esalen. Some of you may, may know him. And this book is a compilation, more or less, of the extraordinary territory that uh, cultivation of the body can move into. It, so he talks about some of the abilities that develop in meditation. The future of the body, you know, the future, of the, future body. of the body. It was written 16 years ago, so some of the future has already happened, <laughs> but it's still relevant. And uh, so he talks about you know the, some of the unusual and extraordinary ways that the body develops in yoga or meditation, or and we we know that from from some from our own experience, the kind of, he, he's very interested in uh, some of the extraordinary experiences that happen with athletes, for example. You know, where athletes seem, when they're at the peak of their powers, uh, to develop very extraordinary abilities, to sometimes intuitive, sometimes just pressing the boundaries of physical capacity. And I, I thought I'd read something from 
this is from Bill Russell. Some of you may know Bill Russell is perhaps the best, uh, along with people like Michael Jordan, one of the best basketball players to have lived. He was with the Boston Celtics, if anyone, I don't know how many basketball fans we have here. <laughs> but uh, this is what he said, reporting kind of some of this, uh, the stretch, which is something that is not talked about publicly so much, where they would go basically into altered states. Professional athletes regularly go into altered states, where they go into some of the extraordinary capacities of the body, which mindfulness of the body opens up. Every so often a Celtics game would heat up so it became more than a physical or even mental game and would be magical. That feeling is difficult to describe, and I certainly never talked about it when I was playing. When it happened, I could feel my play rise to a new level. At that special level, all sorts of odd things happened. It was almost as if we were playing in slow motion. During these spells, I could almost sense how the next play would develop and when the next shot would be taken. Even before the other team brought the ball in bounds, I could feel it so keenly that I'd want to shout to my teammates, it's coming there, except that I knew everything would change if I did. (laughs) My premonition would be consistently correct, and I always felt that I not only knew all the Celtics by heart, but also all the opposing players, and that they all knew me. There have been many times in my career when I felt moved or joyful, but these were the moments when I had chills pulsing up and down my spine. And I think we all have had moments like that, whether it's in nature or sometimes with people that we're extremely close to in love, where, where something gets uh, shifted with the body. It may be that there's less of a sense of firm boundaries. You know? There's a beautiful artist some of you may know, name uh, Alex Gray. How many people know Alex Gray's work? This is a book called Sacred Mirrors, The Visionary Art of Alex Gray. And he has, he does images of how the body is experienced in extraordinary states. And I just show you two of them. I don't know if you can see two. Well, one of them is what he calls the, the um, psychic energy system, which is which is the basis for um, acupuncture and a lot of the yogic practices, not, of course, still being investigated in Western science. And the other one is what he calls the spiritual energy system, in which there's still a distinct body, but it's much more of a sense of interconnection and flowing. And these are pretty amazing pieces of art. I don't know if you can see so well, but it's the psychic energy system on the left and the spiritual energy system on the right. And I'll... I'll leave these up here afterwards, but it's quite extraordinary. And it may, some of you, you know, if you've had such kinds of peak experiences, this may feel familiar. You know, it's, again, it's something that I think is talked about in different cultures. So we've explored so far uh, several practices. We've explored uh, the first three of the practices that the Buddha talks about in the foundations of mindfulness and the mindfulness of the body. We've explored the very foundational practice uh, of being with the breath, which is both a way to explore the nature of the body. It's also a foundational practice for mindfulness of the body. It stabilizes attention, and it's something that we can bring into uh, daily life as well as our formal meditation. We also 
The second practice that he describes is bringing mindfulness to our different postures, bringing mindfulness to the body. Um, When we're sitting, again, we can right now, can we be open to, uh, to mindfulness of the body right now? Can we be present? Because what I'm going to suggest in a little while is that as we develop these preliminary or these first foundational types of mindfulness of the body, we can develop it further. You know, that for um, we can work with mindfulness of breath. We can also then bring mindfulness into our different uh, postures as we sit, as we uh, are at a meeting. I think that the mature and not easy form of mindfulness of the body that I was talking earlier about how I think the mature integration lets us be, um, have the mind and the body and the heart all be present. I think the kind of the direction that we're going to is can I be in my present moment experience and have, and be aware of my body, have my heart accessible and have my mind, mind accessible. <laughs> You know, and basically to be, be aware of what my mind is saying, have access to my heart, and be in my body. You know, Jack Kornfield always likes to say, um, people talk about out-of-the-body experiences. I think in-the-body experiences are quite rare. <laughs> and so, so I think there's a direction that has that kind of integration. It's, it's actually a very simple model of what it means to be a mature human being. Not so easy. And then, can I have those qualities in the middle of interaction with others so that I actually have those capacities there? And I think, in a way, we're continually in training to be able to have those capacities present and be mindful, not caught by the patterns. Sounds very simple, right? It's not easy. Not easy. We have, in a sense, because of our conditioning, we need to train. Mindfulness of the body is not something which we just say after today or after last time. Oh, I'll just be mindful of the body. Okay. Not so easy. Not, not so easy to do. And so we have that second practice, the first practice, mindfulness of breathing. The second practice, mindfulness of um, postures. Uh, talked about in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. The third practice the Buddha talked about is full awareness during any activity. Can I have awareness of the body through a range of activities? And I talked about how one way to develop this is just to try to take a given activity as a place to try to be mindful of the body. You know, I, I talked about how for me a very important practice was to take all my walking and say, whenever I walk, I'm just going to try to cultivate mindfulness of the body. I did this when I was first a student without a car and did a lot of walking. And I was really um, a little frustrated that I had to study so much and couldn't meditate more. And so I said, let me make my walking just a walking meditation. You know? and, and so we can find things like that. We can say, when I drive, you know, I have uh, one student who says, whenever I drive, I will do loving kindness for other drivers. You know? And we, but we can find ways that resonate with us, that, that do that. And the practice that we looked at last time is uh, a fourth practice. And, and it would be nice if I had a handout, actually. Uh, but maybe it's simple enough so that you can, those of you taking notes can know. Because in the end, we're going to have six practices that we've covered. 
And that's definitely enough for the first year <laughs> of, of this curriculum. The, the fourth practice that we looked at last time was this practice of uh, changing the channels, of actually deliberately saying, now let me be aware of what my mind's doing, now let me be aware of what my body's doing, now let me be aware of what my heart is doing. And we can, uh, that can be a wonderful practice to do in our meditations. I know for me, especially in my, some of my first years of practice, I did that practice a lot at retreats. I would do a whole retreat of a week or 10 days or something, and I would do that practice most of the time. And it really, it really gave me a much better sense of the interrelationship of mind and body and heart. It really brings a lot of understanding of how things work, as well as having the potential really particularly to take us out of any stuck place, in a, in, particularly in our mind. And I mentioned how uh, one variation of that practice in which when we're brooding about something or really preoccupied and we shift our attention to our body and our heart, what I call the drop-down practice, has tremendous potential to actually transform uh, chronic patterns. And I've talked at times how this was a major practice for me in working with uh, strong judgments of self or other. And I've shared this in some of the teaching I've done here and elsewhere in, in working with judgments, uh, harsh reactive comments towards self and other, in which typically, uh, if it's towards other, I typically have total self-righteousness and the other person is hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> And if it's towards myself, it's typically I'm hopeless and, and so forth and I'm and so forth. And what I did for a number of years was when those judgments came up, I would shift my attention to my body, particularly the area of the heart and the chest. I would do that really regularly. And over time, it actually proved to be a tremendously powerful transformative tool. It's that because basically what I would find when I did that enough was that I came to find that when I shifted attention to the body, right in the middle of a harsh judgment, I would find that actually, after a while, I would have some access to some underlying, typically unacknowledged pain that would be there with every judgment. I would judge myself harshly for what I did last week. And the judgment would kind of stay more at a mental level mostly for me, but when I would go down to the body, I would find there was actually sadness and grief. And it would put me in touch with that. That's what I was meaning by saying that the body gives information. And we, I remember talking last week uh, in our discussion time, we talked about that a lot. We, people gave examples from their own experience. And so for me, I would typically find there was some pain. And over time, when I would do that, I would find that I could actually go to what was painful. And it needn't be something dramatic. It could be something just like being uh, in the car and the person in front of me has a cell phone and doesn't see the light change. And I go, cell phone. Some of you may occasionally do this also. <laughs> but, but then I would, I would actually bring my attention to my body and I would actually notice impatience. Not, not a surprising analysis or not a surprising discovery, but what happens normally in our experience. We could just get trapped in the judgment. We don't, we're not actually in touch with the impatience. And when I actually could be in touch with the impatience, typically I would um, 
I would lose my judgmental quality. I still might, if the person stayed with it, I still might honk, but it would be much more compassionate. Honk. <laughs> the other, and actually I think most of our horns do have enough variability of expression so that they're, they're definitely, this, again, not something talked about by the Buddha, but I think there are more compassionate and less compassionate honks. I didn't plan to talk about this. But, but, uh, um, and so uh, you, you can get the sense that I touch into it, and it's, it's actually, it actually is a very profound practice. And it's actually through mindfulness of the body that we often can access what's there in a way that's not just informative, but it's also healing. That's what I found in working with the judgments. When I would actually stay with the pain for sustained times, things would heal because it's one of the powers of mindfulness that a caring, aware presence, either to another person or to ourselves, particularly where there's pain, is directly healing. It's a lot of how this works. A lot of how this practice works. Very simple. Um, and so we, we can work with that practice. We can work with that practice of going between mind and body and heart. And then the, the fifth practice was the sweeping practice. This practice of going from head to toe, and we can go back. And it's a practice that uh, can be done for a whole sitting. Some people I've done it at times for whole retreats, doing that practice for uh, 10 or 15 hours a day. And it really starts to ground the awareness in the, in the body, as well as developing concentration, as well as giving sometimes a lot of information, because it, sometimes if we are attentive, we can notice where does this part of my body have stories, have memories? Is when I get to a certain place, is there discomfort? Is there a lack of awareness? Is there shame? And so forth. And so you can see mindfulness of the body has tremendous, uh, can have tremendous power and potential. And the last form that I want to uh, talk about, the last practice, this is the sixth practice for, for, um, for these three times, is this practice of keeping aware of the body as we're in the middle of action. And I want to actually take us through a practice in a moment that we'll do with a partner where we do that. And we've, we've done variants of this practice at times in the last few years because for me it's a very important practice for daily life. How can I be aware of the body at the same time that I'm talking? How can I keep uh, inner and outer awareness at the same time? And I think it's actually one of the ways that this practice starts to become very powerful and transformative is when we move away from the very common cultural uh, habit of having all of our attention go outward. Do you know that one? That when we're looking at something, our attention goes outward. When we're with another person, sometimes we're just, we're just with the um, information on the radio, on the television, from the person. And we, we actually, it actually can be very powerful to keep an inward attention at the same time that there's outward attention. And I think you can sense that this could be very important and powerful because it, you know, in the middle of, let's just think of the model of talking with another person. <coughs> what is it like to actually be aware of what's happening inside me when I'm talking with another? 
well. I, you know, if I'm, rather than just reacting, I can know, oh, when that person said that, I felt sad or I felt angry or I got irritated. A lot of times we're just on automatic pilot. And so actually having that awareness of what's going on can be really, really important. It can let us know what's happening. You can practice this in a meeting or even practice it here. You know, just as you sit here, can you be aware of what I'm saying and also keep some inner attention just to know maybe something said, maybe something you say, oh, that resonated or I feel some resonance or I like that or, you know, you can feel your ideas or you might say, that's really off the wall. (laughs) What he's saying is just ridiculous and it sounds like new age pablum to me. (laughs) (laughs) You may not have that thought. But, uh, but whatever there is, you know, whatever there is, uh, you, can, you can, can look at it. And I thought I'd, uh, I want to take us into a practice in a moment, but I thought I'd read this, this last poem, which is about the, um, it's about the connection of inner and outer, and, uh, and ultimately how uh, it's helpful to distinguish them, but ultimately they dissolve into each other. This is from my retreat, remember? So on retreats, I sometimes, we sometimes get, what, deep or whatever. <laughs> so but I'll co- come back to the ordinary in a moment. So this is about the inner and the outer. For safety and convenience, for drama and general humor, we speak of inner and outer. That's, I could say, maybe I should rewrite this. We speak of inner and outer for safety and convenience, for drama and general humor. We speak of inner and outer, above and below, deep and shallow. In the kind, tearful silence, all of these join and are nothing. (laughs) This is a good retreat. (laughs) Uh, Poems are a good sign of that. So what I'd like you to do is uh, two things. I'm going to have us reflect, and then I'm going to have us uh, just uh, join with a partner in a moment. And we'll do this exercise of connecting inner and outer. But I'd like you first to reflect, how might I, or what, in what ways am I drawn to develop further mindfulness of the body? So, so we'll give a minute or two just to reflect. In what ways are you drawn to develop further mindfulness of the body? So I'd like you to uh, find a partner and sit uh, near that partner so you're ready to start talking, but don't, but don't start quite yet.
And raise your hand if you don't have a partner now. Do you need one uh, from the back? Okay. So does anyone who needs a partner raise your hand? Okay, so why don't you join a, a group and make a group of three, one group of three. And introduce yourself. Just your name. And, and here's what I'd like to do. We'll have, a, we'll have a chance for each person to speak. The group of three will have to speak a little more quickly. And you'll have to do your own timing, okay? Um, so what I'd like you to do is one person at a time speak about the content of how I would like to develop in, mindf in mindfulness of the body. That's the content. And for the speaker, work with the content, but see if you can also keep some awareness of your body as you speak. For the listener, you won't have anything to say. It's okay to go, uh-huh, <laughs> so forth. But you won't have anything to say, but try to really keep both an inner and an outer awareness. Listen to the words, but also really listen to yourself. Is that clear? Are you Pretty... going to ring a bell after the first person? Yeah. Yeah, what I'll do will be about, about uh, four minutes, and I'll ring a bell to change, and then we'll give an, I'll give instructions briefly again. And so the group of three, why don't you take about... Um, uh, yeah, 2.785. <laughs> a little less than three minutes, but and you can, uh, if you want to, you can kind of keep going. About about three minutes, if you can time it. Okay. Are you saying four minutes? Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, you want three? <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's take um, now, let's just in a, in a moment I'll ring the bell, but I'd like you each to reflect, to almost to set an intention for keeping inner and outer attention at the same time and keeping awareness of the body plus for the speaker what you'll say and for the listener the content of what's being said. So try to have a sense of being with the bo your body as you're also attending outwardly. Set your intention, and in about 10 seconds, 15 seconds, I'll ring a bell. We'll start. Okay.
About 30 more seconds. Could, uh, thank your partner. Still keeping that blend of inner and outer. Can switch roles. And now the speaker becomes listener, listener becomes speaker. And so just in a moment we'll have you set intentions. So the speaker will work with the content of that question, how might I develop further in mindfulness of the body? And as you speak, you can keep some uh, mindfulness of the body as much as possible as you speak. The listener, again, try to keep mindfulness of the body at the same time that you listen. So each of the roles, if you can set your intention, and I'll ring a bell in about 10 or 15 seconds. Thank you. 
About 30 seconds more. If you can finish up. And the group of three will have a little more time for something. So, if, did you have enough time? Oh, that's great. Okay. So, if you can finish up and thank your partner. And I want to do, um, want to do one more piece. So, stay with your partners for now. You can stay with your partner. And just want to do one more piece, which is to, I want to give us about a, sh a very short time, about three minutes or so, just to talk about anything that you might have discovered or explored in that. So this will be informal discussion. No one is the speaker, no one the listener only. It will be more like informal discussion. And I'd like you right now to get ready for that by setting your intention to keep an inner and an outer awareness, keep awareness of the body as you engage in this informal discussion. So the content will be what it is, but your role is to stay with your body and see what that's like. So about three minutes or so. So in about 10, 15 seconds, I'll ring a bell to start. So set your intention. Yeah. When you say stay with the body, is that the same thing as being aware of my feelings? Uh, it's to be aware uh, in some ways of your body, uh, the sensations. Uh, it's, it's distinct from emotions. So it could be to just be, uh, keep some inner awareness. It could be to be aware of your hands, your, your posture, your breath. 
something that feels accessible. Does that, does that help some? Okay. And we'll, we'll come back and talk about it. <laughs> so, okay, so about 10 or 15 seconds just to see. So, yeah, you might just try to be aware of something that connects you with your body. It just might be feeling the contact with the chair, feeling your knees, your hands, your whole body might be. About 30 seconds more. So if you can thank your partner and we can come back to the whole group.
Did you, did you have fun just trying to connect inner and outer in a very simple way? Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. I mean, we weren't trained to do that, were we? <laughs> uh, any, any reflections on what you just did or, or could be anything related to the talk, but particularly uh, any reflections or something you found or a question or anything from what we just did? Please, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to stay silent? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, something to know. That would be part of mindfulness, just to know that there's this, I mean, some of it, it comes for different reasons, but just that almost to feel the energy that wants to respond, right? It's almost, it is in the body partly, isn't it? Yeah. So just to notice, uh, notice a lot of that. It's, uh, it's kind of parallel to how when we meditate, it's also hard to be quiet, isn't it? <laughs> so, please, uh, yeah. Yeah. Can you say more? Yeah. Feel more alert. More alert, yeah. Happy. <laughs> Ooh, happiness. <laughs> yeah, it kind of takes us out of a maybe a habitual way. It, it it's kind of like broadens the universe a little bit. I mean, basically by about a hundred percent. If the most of the known universe in the moment is external, mm-hmm. it actually increases reality by a hundred percent. And I think we generally could use as much reality as we can get, so to speak. Okay, please, yeah. Um, I'm sort of going to form this thought while I speak it, so we'll see how yeah. it comes out. But and try to stay with your body as you speak. Yes, it's, <laughs> and listen. I think two things together. When you were talking to Mark about yeah. how we sense things in yeah. the body, and Phyllis was talking about practices that she does to ground herself, and I thought about the materialness of our bodies. Yeah. And that there is a, a weight there, there's a substance to be felt. Yeah. And, and the wonderful um, idea of grounding something that's solid. And yeah. Firm. And I find that my body actually moves through reality at a certain pace, which is much slower than my mind. Yeah. And so it's a nice counterpoint to have my mind sort of doing this fugue and my body yeah. Slower. And and it's and and to have the inner and outer attention to me right now was I was able to bring those two things together. Yeah. And it was um, kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of observations, Jan. Really uh, you know, I like the the noticing of the grounding and of, uh, and it's interesting to notice the different speeds. Like what are the different speeds of parts of our experience, the mind, the heart, the body. Mm-hmm. You know. Sometimes the body is actually really, really quick. It just doesn't register. <laughs> For our mo- actually, it may be that our mind is actually slower than our body because it doesn't notice it. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot, of, but it's actually really interesting questions. You know, and then I was also thinking that one of the practices that we didn't do, that's in one of the classic teachings of the Buddha, is looking at the body in terms of the four elements, one of which is earth or ground, another fire, air, and water. And it actually is almost like an ecological practice to see how our bodies are very similar to these basic elements. Would that be a seventh? 
What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if we, if we, it would be. Actually, I, actually, I have six years' worth, as I mentioned, <laughs> and some others that, that I haven't talked about. But yeah, that's, that, that's a, a practice. But that notion of grounding, very, it's, it's, a, it's a very helpful metaphor. Please, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I noticed a sense of like, profound curiosity. Yeah. Um, which was exciting, not in a trivial way, but like, really deeply exciting. Yeah. 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 So it brings out in, in um, teachings of the Buddha, there's that emphasis on what's called inquiry or investigation, which really is about curiosity. In a way, it's like this wish to really see, to learn. And it's like these, uh, sometimes these exercises or shifts can really make us bring out that quality, which is really, actually, really crucial, isn't it? So really the love of learning, which we, we lose sometimes. Please, and then I'll get to I'm realizing everyone's from the right side. I want to not, you know, have to listen to the left side of the body as well. <laughs> Please, yeah. I was uh-huh. noticing how slow I had to speak in order to ah. be in awareness of my body as well. Yeah. saying as she was describing her experience, it began to feel like a symphony because it was diff- of the different rhythms that were going on. And when I was listening to the Anita speak, I not only heard what her voice, what she was saying, but all of a sudden I got really curious about the sound of the way she was making her sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many things that are really fun to just come in. Yeah. And then her the vibration yeah. of the words she was saying was somewhat vibrating inside me. Yes, yeah, it sounds like an altered state. <laughs> 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 but it's actually it's really just ordinary experience seen with curiosity and patience. And it's a nice quality, isn't it? I mean, you can imagine having that uh, awareness a lot of the time or more of the time. You know, go to a restaurant and just, let's see how this waiter or waitress, you know, just the movements, it almost becomes like a magical dance, and you can be part of it. So that's the left side, my left side. (laughs) Have any comment or question, anything? Yeah, Christine, yeah. yeah. Something I found interesting as the listener, um, and being where it was even you know, easier to be really in touch with the body sensation because I wasn't having to th- speak. Yeah. Um, and I found being aware of and the, the body, which to me means also being aware of emotions, because I find they just, yeah. they, they connect, opened me in a very easy and direct way to, or at least it felt it was, um, to the emotional content and background of yeah. what was being said, so that the 
even the, the words while they were there and I guess being heard, it was like there was an energetic connection yeah. of the uh, yeah. emotional stuff. Did, every, did everyone hear what Christine said? Yeah, how many people had some similar experience? Is kind of feeling the, having the body almost access uh, the emotional life and also kind of an ener- almost like a quality of energetic exchange. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is. I mean, that was similar to what I was talking about in that work with judgments. I went to the body, but it actually was a direct access, especially to emotions. And it again, it kind of, widens the awareness from the way that we often get closed in more in the mental. And it, so it opens, the, it opens us to that, the emotions, the body, that quality of energetic exchange. Again, it's not that the thoughts are something we want to get rid of, but it's more how can we integrate the thinking with these other qualities. Uh, you know, and again, I, I like to make the cultural connections that if we can integrate our thinking as a culture with groundedness in the heart and in the earth, that's important for cultural healing and transformation. Yeah, Maybe one more person, if anyone would like to say, and then I think we need to close because of time. Please, yeah. Well, it reinforced the need to, uh, of keeping my body open to yeah. the other person. Yeah. Yeah, and and do you have some way that, as it were, you go there? Say that again. Yeah, I'm thinking that keeping the body open, there probably you probably have some ways that if you say, "Let me keep my body open," you know what to do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there may be a posture you take. Sometimes the back straighter. Or uncrossing the arms. Yeah, legs. yeah. Or, you know, if, yeah, just it's, so it's something that you can really, you could actually practice and you could actually say when you're, you know, do that intention, like when you're going to be with another person, let me, let me be in this open stance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or conversely, you could know um, just when you're closed or when the body's closed, when you're like this, you know. And so I think part of the mindfulness of the body is really tracking those kind of cues. And so you, so one can deliberately say, when you know those cues, you can say before an interaction, let me go. So you use the body in that sense as a lead. It actually leads you towards openness. And you can actually, so it's really helpful to tune in and say, okay, what in my body, how does my body... Um, um, how do I experience my body when it's more open? How do I experience when it's more closed? Yeah. And then you can actually deliberately go to the open stance before a conversation. Yeah. So, so a lot it, of times the way we take our bodies, yeah. even crossing, then we start to go inside ourselves. Yeah. And if I'm open like that, I'm really vulnerable to be to receiving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot. There's a lot here, isn't there? There's a lot. So, let's let's close, and I'll invite us just to sit and reflect on individually on on what may have been helpful from today or the last and or the last sessions, and where you might like to go personally with this. 
Again, sometimes it's better just to have one or two, two next steps rather than five or ten. Just to keep it simple. What's, what's one next step that I can take? Or two? And some of it may be actually to do these on some regular basis, like at the, at the end of your sitting, maybe to access the place of an open body and make a shift so that that can be brought more into your daily life. Something like that. We'll just sit and let those intentions and reflections be there for a minute or two. And we close by remembering that we do these practices, that we meet together, not just for ourselves, but for others. And we offer the benefits of our time together out to all beings. Beyond Spirit Rock, through the Bay Area, covering the whole world and going beyond. May all beings be benefited. body have a good time with these practices <laughs> and I'll see you in three weeks and uh, I'll let Sylvia know what we've been doing so um, see you soon and um, enjoy thank you thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.